1: Oh, hi everybody. It is the official Star Trek podcast. I am one of your hosts, Paul F. Tompkins.
2: I'm the other one of your hosts, as always, Tawny Newsome. We're back. As always, you are Tawny Newsome. I never cannot be. Don't never change. (laughs) I try not to. (laughs) You guys, we've missed you. We have a fun show coming up for you today.
1: Yes, the first astronaut I've ever spoken to, Samantha Cristoforetti. We had a wonderful conversation with her. She is an extremely cool person. Very cool. We could have talked to her forever, but we weren't allowed to. No, uh, she had places to go. She's very busy. (laughs) If you had the chance to go to space, would you?
2: If I had the chance to go to space, I don't think I would go. I think I would be too scared. Really? Oh, yeah. You just would not trust the
1: technology.
2: I'm not good in an aeroplane. Uh, That's true. And those have existed since 1907. That's
1: true. (laughs) What about an aeroplane that just went
2: straight up in the air? (laughs) Mm. (laughs) An aeroplane that goes so high the sky gets dark? (laughs) I do think I'd be too frightened. Would you go up into space? Yeah,
1: I would. Wow. Absolutely, yeah. I I
2: admire that. Yeah,
1: I think I would be scared as well. It's... An experience that, like that that's so completely beyond anything you've experienced. Yeah. I don't know how I would handle it. It makes, me think, it makes me think of my wedding day. I was so nervous before my wedding, even though I was, you know, I was a grown man when I got married. You know what I mean? Congratulations. And thank you. But I was just feeling this feeling and I didn't know what to do with it. And I, I started to get really deep inside my head. Like, what is going on with me? Like, I want to do this. I'm mm-hmm. not, this isn't cold feet. And then I realized... I've never had this experience before. The experiences in your life that are brand new really whittle down the older you get. Sure. You know, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is just something I've never been in this position before. I've never been in this. And then I was fine. And I hope I would be able to apply that to space travel.
2: (laughs) That is a wild journey you just took me on. But I track it. I follow it. (laughs) It makes sense. And it's an excitement. It's an adrenaline rush. I feel like having grown up watching Star Trek, I don't know what age I was that I realized that that was science fiction and not reality. I think I've talked about this before. But where I thought like, oh, if you're on a space station, like you have gravity, you have restaurants, you know, (laughs) I thought it was more like a little military city. (laughs) You know, know, a little 10 forward situation. Um, But where was the the TNG Panda (laughs) Express? Where was the food court? So I feel like I would be down to go to space if we were there. Like if you could go up and be on a little like base. Yeah. And it felt more, I don't know, it was like carpeted.
1: (laughs) What what about a transporter situation? If the transporter was an actual thing, would you trust it? Like if in five years they make the transporter and they say, "We look, we've been secretly testing this thing. We got it down. It's fine. It's safe. And now the public can go to space via transporter.
2: No, I, I would need the full Deep Space Nine level. I'd need all our technology to be at that level. We're on right. these space stations. Then if someone's like, here's how you get from here to there, it's a transporter. I'd be like, I don't love this, but I guess it's been vetted. <laughs> but right now- Just having like some tech billionaire create a transporter? Absolutely not. You will not catch me in it. Right. (laughs) I'm too fearful. I don't trust it.
1: I think even if it became a commonplace thing and people were doing it, I would be scared of it. It's sort of like how I used to feel about LASIK surgery.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's so common.
1: I'm going to wait and see what happens to everyone I know who's getting it first.
2: just walking up and peering in everyone's face, like how your yeah. eyes feel. <laughs> your eyes still good? Hey, I noticed you're wearing glasses again. Hmm.
1: <laughs> By the time I wanted to get LASIK, I found out I was not a candidate for it.
2: Oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Well, you guys are about to hear this great interview where I find out that I may be too old to go to outer space. Thanks a lot. Maybe, society. maybe it's not definitive. It's not definitive, <laughs> but we should get to it. We had a wonderful interview with our guest, Samantha Christopher Reddy. She was the first Italian woman in space. She got known for a lot of her really fun social media presence, her tweets about Star Trek. She did experiments about long stays in space.
1: Yeah, she's so cool. And I wish we had even more time with her. So please enjoy this interview with Samantha Christopher Reddy.
2: Right after this break. Samantha Cristoforetti is an Italian astronaut who works with the European Space Agency. The ESA is like NASA, but run collectively by 22 countries in Europe. On her mission to the International Space Station starting in November 2014, she spent 199 days in space, setting what was at the time the record for the longest single mission for a woman. And when she returned to Earth, she was awarded the Order of Merit of the Italian Republic, which is like being knighted. Samantha Cristoforetti, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you, hello. Hello, Uh, what city are you currently in?
3: I am in Cologne, that's in Germany, and uh, I'm uh, close to my office, it's across the corridor, at the European Astronaut Center. It's one of the facilities of the European Space Agency, and specifically that's where we astronauts live and work.
2: That's a very cool answer. We're just in Glendale. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very cool answer. <laughs> yeah, so thank you so much for making time for us
3: today. This is great to have you. Thank you. Thank you for your interest.
1: Are you between missions? Will you be going back up anytime soon?
3: Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I, uh, I certainly hope to go back up to ISS uh, as soon as possible. It will probably be a few more years, maybe two three years or so.
2: How does that sort of time frame get decided? Like when you go back up, if you get to go back up, if you want to? Is that a, an ongoing
3: conversation? Well, we we do have some expectations. I mean, there is a rotation among astronauts. You, you know, in a way, it's really about kind of waiting for your turn. You know, everybody else has to get a chance as well. But uh, in the European Space Agency, of course, nationality does also play a role. We have uh, countries that contribute more to the ISS program. And if you are a national of one of those countries, then you will probably have a little bit more chances.
1: How hard is it to have to wait before you can go back up?
3: Yeah, that's the worst part of, of this job. I mean, this is the, the, the coolest job in the world. Um, but you, you, yeah, you do have to put up with the fact that, you know, you you have very little control about uh, when you will get your next chance to fly to space. And usually it will be quite a few years.
1: <laughs> How much time would you spend up there if you could, if, you, if it was unlimited?
3: You know it, it it's hard to say, I mean, it's it's very difficult to extrapolate from from your experience to eternity, potentially, but uh, <laughs> but what what I will say i was I was up there for six and a half months, but actually, I was originally supposed to come back earlier, but a month earlier, and I was absolutely not ready to come back.
2: Oh, so what right.
3: happened? yeah, so what happened about two weeks before we were due to come back, there was a cargo a ship from Russia that was launched and didn't make it to ISS, and that triggered a number of consequences, and among those, the fact that we got to stay a month longer. Now, of course, I was sad because of the um, the accident, and we had lost a cargo, that's bad for the program, but, you know, individually, personally, for myself, I was really happy that I got that that extra month up there. <laughs>
2: I love that. I think there's maybe a, a, a misunderstanding that some astronauts are are just dying to get back, or maybe that is the case. It's just not your experience.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's very different. I mean, and also, you know, I was feeling very well up there. I had a great crew uh, from a health perspective. I didn't have any issues. So, I mean, that mm. just makes for a wonderful experience. And you know, I, I can imagine that once in a while there will be somebody who will have not such a good experience, and then they might be happy to come back. But for me, I was just happy up
1: there. <laughs> <laughs> My mind is racing because, you know, I think you're, I believe you're the first person I've ever spoken to that's been in outer space. In outer
2: space. <laughs> yes, same, probably.
1: <laughs> so what, what is the question that people ask you the most?
3: Um, I mean, I, I think most people have a hard time phrasing their specific questions so what what you get asked a lot is like how was it up there yeah. like, what? it's a little bit difficult to answer yeah how's yeah, space
2: <laughs> <laughs> do people ask you if the earth is round or not do they want you to just make
3: sure to get that info uh, out there no and believe it or not i do not get that whole
2: that's probably good that's probably says a lot about our world uh brain health <laughs>
3: What is the
1: hardest thing about readjusting after you've been up there for months? To come back down to the planet, what's what's the most difficult thing about readjusting?
3: So, initially, it's just this fact of actually having weight again, which is extremely mm-hmm. annoying, I can tell you. <laughs> um, you know, I, I remember... After we undocked from ISS, and then we we had, you know, you 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 fly around the earth once, it's about an hour and a half, where not much happens, and that's that's a buffer that's just built into the, the flight program. And we didn't have much to do, and it was quite quiet in the spacecraft, you know. So it's it's been six and a half months of being up there together, and then we're flying home. Me and my two colleagues, a Russian and an American. And the American his name is Terry. And all of a sudden, so he was on his second mission, so he had had already that experience of coming back to Earth. And so all of a sudden, in the silence, out of the blue, he's like, Samantha, I will tell you only one thing. It is shocking how strong gravity is. <laughs> <laughs> so he was just trying to prepare me for this shocking experience of coming back to Earth and actually having to carry, you know, your own weight again. And, and, and that's definitely something I have to adjust to again.
2: Oh, I imagine that must be so trippy. And I imagine there might be a little bit of depression among some astronauts coming back and having so much like such a different physical experience.
3: Well, I mean, it's uh, it's definitely a hard time. I mean, I wouldn't wouldn't say depression. I think that's that's a bit too much. And I mean, there's there's a lot of good things, too. But coming back, you know, you see see your family. (laughs) Uh, your, your friends, you know, you you, you know your, your normal life, let's say, and, and relations. Uh, but it's certainly uh, emotionally a little bit of a low, for sure. I mean, you know, you, you're back from this high point in your life, which is your mission, And, uh, you you know, you you have to get, you know, readjusted again. And at the same time, the mission isn't over, right? I mean, you still have a lot, at least for the first six months after the mission. It's not like you can, you know, say, okay, now I'll go on vacation for two months. No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you have to do debriefs. You have to do uh, post-flight experiments on yourself. You know, the experiments that uh, people did on you on ISS, you still have to do them a number of times after you come back so that researchers can see how you go back to, you know, your baseline. There's a lot of public outreach, of course. I mean, that's, uh, it's legitimate that people expect you to, to share your, uh, your experience that was, of course, paid with uh, taxpayers' money. So there's a lot of work to do. But at the same time, of course, you're not at that high emotional point of, of being in space. So it's a little bit of a struggle for most people, I'd say. Sure.
2: Now, of course, we know that you are a Star Trek fan, thanks to your tweets, uh, your Catherine Janeway tweets, your fantastic picture of you in the Starfleet uniform. Was science fiction always something that was part of your life? Would you say it got you interested in going to space?
3: I think it it played a big part, uh, for sure. I mean, you know, growing up as a a child and and then especially as a teenager, I, I was this huge star trek fan i mean it was it was almost like a religion for me probably looking from outside um and so i I think it, it probably it's hard to say what what kindles children's imagination but i i would my guess would be that it did play a huge role
1: what's your earliest memory of knowing you wanted to go to space
3: so i Do not have a specific time. Um, I think in my case, it was really like a a sedimenting of of different impressions and experiences. And I probably eventually started thinking about it. And then eventually one day, yeah, I I knew that it was the one thing. But since it had come day by day, I I cannot really relate to a date (laughs) or, or something that happened.
1: Does it feel like something you just always knew that you wanted to do?
3: Yeah, maybe not. Always. I mean, I I don't think that in kindergarten I wanted to go to space. I mean, it's probably too early, but sometimes in elementary school, you know, sometimes age probably six, seven, eight, something like that. That, That's where it started, I would say.
2: Now, Samantha, you went to space camp here in the U.S., which I didn't know that space camp was a real thing. Mm -hmm. You thought it was
1: just that movie?
2: No, I didn't know it was a movie. I didn't know, I think, until (laughs) I was older right that anyone went to actual space camp it sounds very cool if i had known about it i probably would have been <laughs> all about it um you went at 18 right
3: yeah yeah i'd say i was 18. i was an exchange student in the u.s and i didn't know about space camp either we just happened you know i, I was living with this uh, lady in minnesota she was my host mom and i think we we happened to see an ad uh somewhere and so we, we looked it up, and and I thought it was awesome, of course. And she was supportive. My parents were supportive. The school I was going to, uh, they said, sure, go. Uh, and so I'm like, yeah, I'm coming.
2: Yeah. I bet there were a lot of uh, Trek fans at space camp, huh?
3: I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we all wanted to be astronauts.
2: <laughs> sure, yeah. What about on the ISS? Did you end up talking about Trek with fellow astronauts? Are there a lot of astronauts who are
3: Trek fans? And for example, Terry, whom I already mentioned, he was actually on Star Trek. He did a cameo appearance on, uh, oh, I think, really? on the Next Generation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's oh, very wow.
2: cool. Oh, <laughs> no, we'll have to look cool. for Terry and find out what what role <laughs> he played. <laughs>
3: Probably a transporter operator or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someone
2: in just four hours of prosthetic makeup will never recognize him. <laughs> um, that's so cool. I wonder like about, so, uh, you know, I'm an actor and I feel like whenever I watch shows or movies about acting, I, it, I I have this very high bar for it needing to either be very, very real or it has to be complete fantasy. Like anything in between. Paul, do you feel this way? Like. When it's not realistic, you just kind of go like, oh, they're making us look insane. That isn't how we are. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe that is how we are. (laughs) But do you feel that same way about uh, things to do with space like astronaut shows? Do you prefer things that are more science fiction like Trek as opposed to things that are trying to be very realistic that you might, having been in space, find a way to poke a little bit of poke some holes in?
3: Yeah, indeed. I mean, I, I think it's a it's a very similar experience, like you were describing. I mean, if I'm if I'm looking at pure science fiction, like Star Trek, I can just enjoy it as as a form of art and storytelling. But if you're showing me something that's close to home, like I don't know, Gravity, for example, you know, I, when I went to see Gravity, I was just laughing and the whole time. <laughs> you know, all this dramatic story of survival, and you know, I was probably disturbing the entire movie theater, but like bursting out laughing all the time. <laughs>
2: I look. You may have disturbed the whole movie theater, but next time you go to see an astronaut movie, just wear an astronaut helmet and be like, "Guys, I'm an astronaut. This is unbelievable to me." <laughs> Do you have any episodes or favorite uh, moments from Trek that you would think about when you were up there, or did things, you know, in space remind you of certain
3: scenes? I think my 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 standout episode was from the Next Generation. I think it's called Iborg. Borg. Was like mm-hmm. this. Sure. This dramatic episode, you know, about Picard, who, of course, had had awful experiences with the Borg and, you know, and this Borg entity who struggles to actually recognize him. And, you know, eventually he does during the movie or during the episode as an individual. But, but then there is the whole struggle of Picard to accept that this Borg is actually making that transition, let's say. So um, I think it's a very profound, very profound episode. Yeah,
2: that's a good one. What advice
1: would you give someone who's going to space for the first time?
3: Oh wow! Uh, you, you mean just go into space, or as a professional astronaut like I did, like on ISS?
1: Oh man, I guess either one. <laughs>
3: wait, wait, wait. we could just go to space now.
1: <laughs> I guess if we could someone, just buy a ticket. Yeah, if someone just found themselves going to space.
3: No, no, yeah. <laughs> no, you cannot just buy a ticket right now. But I, mean, I thought hypothetically.
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe someday soon. <laughs>
3: Well, if I, you know, if there is one thing that I wish people had advised me on before I went, although I don't know if there would have been a solution, but, um, you know, you you have all this time to look out of the window and 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 gaze at the earth, and, and sometimes you're just enjoying the view, but sometimes you're really curious about what is this place exactly that I'm flying over, so... You know, some, some, some really detailed maps and maybe geography encyclopedias so that you can really look up what uh, you're looking at uh, and have a better connection and better insight. That's something that was a bit missing sometimes.
2: Absolutely.
3: Yeah, that's nice. If you were
2: going to pick, who's your favorite captain? I think we got to ask everybody that. <laughs>
3: hmm, my favorite captain. I mean, I, I, I do kind of like Captain Janeway.
2: Yeah, I, she's the best. She's so tough. I mean, I say they're the best if at any answer that someone's going to give me. Um, I'm fully like a yes person. I'm like, yeah, that is the best, Captain. You're right, any given moment. Would you bring her on the ISS with you, or do you have another character in mind that would be maybe a better fit for life on the ISS?
3: I mean, if I could bring a character... I think it would be more somebody, you know, a Neelix type of character or a guy Really? Type of character. Yeah, you know, that you can hang out at the end of the work day and, and talk to and have fun and they'll listen to you, you know, something like that.
2: Neelix is a bold choice. You don't think you'd get a little irritated? <laughs> no disrespect to yeah, kind of like Neelix,
3: Neelix, but. I mean, I, I, I thought he was fun. I thought he was fun. <laughs>
2: he was fun. I sound like I'm being down on Neelix. I think he's just, he's an acquired taste for some.
3: I don't know. I mean, I, I think I, I have a connection. <laughs> I like that.
1: Where have we not gone yet in space that you want to go? I mean, obviously Mars is a big thing on people's minds. Um, if you could go anywhere in the in the known universe, where would you like to go?
3: Uh, well, I mean, it, it, it's hard to have any special connection to something outside of our solar system because we just know so little about uh, those places. But in our solar system, you know, beyond the, the obvious things that are very concrete goals for us to eventually, you know, go back to the moon and eventually go to Mars. I think we've been so spoiled over the years from those wonderful pictures of Cassini, of the Saturnian system, you know, Saturn and its rings and its mm. moons, that if I, you know, if I, if I could go there, of course, it's science fiction right now. But if, you know, if we're talking science fiction, if I could go there and take a Peek with my own eyes and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and and look back at this little dot, which would be our Earth from from out yeah. there. I would love to do that.
1: That sounds amazing. There are plans to go back to the moon, right?
3: Oh yeah, yeah, very concrete plans. I mean, there's there's contracts out there. Uh, you know, people uh, people actually working on uh, on designs and uh, hopefully start cutting metal uh, soon. So the idea is to launch. Uh, first module of a little space station that's called Gateway that will fly around the moon by 2022. And then, you know, more and more modules. And of course, there is this ambition as well, this goal of NASA landing humans on the moon again by the end of 2024.
1: Any chance you might be one of those humans?
2: Can you
3: tell us? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I won't. I'm i pretty sure there will be uh, NASA astronauts.
2: <laughs> Got it. Asking for myself, is it too late to join NASA?
3: <laughs> uh, they, they, they just had a selection uh, recently, but uh, I think they will have one soon again. So, you know, it's never too late to try. Mm. All right.
1: So there's no age maximum. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I'm asking for myself. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah.
2: Is there an age maximum for astronauts?
3: <laughs> Um, I, I know at ESA, we do not have a hard uh, limit. I, I'm not 100% sure how it works at NASA, but it's probably the same. I mean, as long as you're, um, you know, active and in good health and in good shape, I don't think they have a hard limit.
2: Okay. So we also learned that you're not just an astronaut, you're an aquanaut because I you spent nine aquanaut, days yes. on the sea floor. That. Yes. That's yes. very cool. I, I've definitely never spoken to an aquanaut
3: before. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. There's a few of us out there hidden. In, <laughs> you you wouldn't recognize us just by looking at us. But uh, <laughs> yes, we're up there. Um, yeah, that that's a really cool experience. You get to spend uh, some time in our case. Yeah, it was nine days on the seafloor. There is this habitat. It's kind of like a space station, but it's uh, it's underwater. And you get to do simulated spacewalks. Uh, like, for example, in our scenario, we were habitat on the surface of the moon, and then every day we would go out, two of us would go out for about five hours, and we would have work to do outside. And some of it was like real science for marine biologists, and some of it was like uh, testing uh, techniques and equipment that might one day be used for sorties on the, on the moon surface. Wow.
1: Obviously, there are a lot of differences between space and the seafloor, but what were the similarities?
3: So, from an astronaut uh, perspective, it's basically a perfect analog of uh, spaceflight. Well, with the exception that, of course, you're not floating. Um, but other than that, right? You are in a very confined environment. Actually, the habitat—it's called Aquarius. Uh, it's a wonderful place, but it's actually much smaller than than space station. So, in terms of being confined and, and sharing your living and and workspace with uh, with a number of other people, you know, and, 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 you know, having to be very respectful of each other and, you know, and make sure that you help each other out. That's very similar to a space station, if not even more challenging. And then there is this way that, uh, you know, NASA sets this up, which is basically... Just like on Space Station, like you wake up in the morning and you you look at the computer and it has your timeline for the day and tells you exactly what you're going to do at what time uh, for the different crew members and then you have this communication set up with people uh, we say top side so the topsiders. <laughs> uh, they sit in a in a simulated uh, mission control and you talk to them just like you would if you were on space station and you would be talking to houston for for example and they will you know guide you through the day through your activities and then you have the simulated spacewalk so you know when you go outside and inside you've got a, a workstation set up for an you know, what we would call an IV, an intravehicular person who supports the, the people outside, just like we have uh, for, uh, for real spacewalks. So it, it's really set up like, a, you know, like a small uh, space mission.
1: This is a question we ask everyone. Did you see any weird fish? <laughs>
3: In Aquarius now? A lot. In a space <laughs> station? Not so much.
1: <laughs> I feel like if you'd seen some, bi- some weird fish in the space station, that would be big news. That would be big news. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> no, the underwater makes <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: that Yeah, that, that's a big difference. Right? You know, when you sit in Aquarius and you look out of the window, there is so life out there, and uh, I, which which is fascinating, especially for somebody like me. I mean, I'm, I'm a mountain person. I grew up in the mountains, so the, the undersea life is is very new to me and fascinating. Well, thank you so much for talking to
2: us today. This has been absolutely delightful. We wish you the best of luck. We hope to see you back up in space for as long as you want to be there. Thank you so much.
3: Yeah, it was my pleasure. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you. you. Bye,
1: Samantha.
2: Bye. What a cool person. Our new best friend. I-, I think we should check with her before we make that claim. I felt the vibe. How many do you think astronauts constantly meet people who are like, "You're gonna be my new best friend"? Oh,
1: if not, get a load of me because that's what's gonna happen now.
2: <laughs> um, no, she's so cool and what a what a fun person to talk to about space. Yeah, I had to resist the urge to not ask her very stupid questions about meet, space. It was. It's so hard to not just sound like a full idiot. That's why I asked her like, "What's the question
1: people ask you most often?" So I didn't say it. Right, right, right,
2: <laughs> and be like, "Waterfalls on the moon," right? <laughs> She's ever be like, no, you don't. So we should mention she referenced her colleague Terry Wirtz, who appeared in the final episode of Star Trek Enterprise. Episode was titled These Are the Voyages. Quick facts about other real-life astronauts who have appeared in Star Trek. Mae Jemison. Oh, that's right. She was Lieutenant Palmer in the Next Generation episode Second Chances. Mm-hmm. And then there was footage used of NASA astronauts Alan Shepard and Buzz Aldrin in the opening credits of Star Trek Enterprise. So I don't know if that counts as a cameo, but they were technically on it.
1: I'm going to count it. Great. We are the cameo court. I don't want that responsibility. No. Tawny, we must do oh, this. Oh, gosh.
2: Cameo court is obsession. Dong dong.
1: We will tell you what counts as a cameo and what does not count as a cameo.
2: I have a feeling the fans have ideas about what counts as a cameo. I'm sure there's already a cameo They should have
1: gone to cameo law school.
2: <laughs> Sound off if you're already in the cameo court, <laughs> if you passed the cameo bar exam, <laughs> and if you are a cameo high court judge.
1: Even if you're taking your cameo LSATs, we want to hear from you.
2: LSATs. That was something I could have done. Tawny? I don't know. She's got me thinking of all the different careers I could have had. I could have gone to space camp. That sounded Mm -hmm. really cool. I was a kid watching Trek. If I would known space camp existed, I probably would have begged my parents to go. You already
1: gave up on being a horse doctor. I can't trust you to do anything. You're right. wish I had spent all that money on that horse stethoscope I got you. Right. Such a fantastic experience to talk to Samantha.
2: We hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed chatting with her. Bye. Bye. Want more Trek?
1: If you live in the US, go to CBS All Access for classic episodes of Star Trek: The
2: Original Series, Star Trek: The Next Generation,
1: Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, Star
2: Trek: Voyager, and
1: Star Trek: Enterprise. And
2: new seasons of Star Trek: Discovery and Star Trek: Picard. In Canada, watch Star Trek: Discovery and Star Trek: Picard on Bell Media CTV Sci-Fi channel. Star Trek: Discovery streams
1: on Netflix in 188 countries, and
2: Star Trek: Picard does the same on Amazon Prime. Thank
1: you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Beow,
2: beow, 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 beow.
1: Beow.